the way I think about my work, I tend to be a more logical person rather than a theoretical person. A lot of my friends that are artists, you know, their brains are sort of in this fine art idea realm, and I'm sort of in the practical, physical making realm. Welcome to Hello Atelier, the podcast that takes you inside the artist's studio. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. Hello. So today, we get to snoop into the studio of one of my favorite people, textile artist Kim Eichler-Mesmer. And what I find most fascinating about Kim's work is that she hand-dyes so much of her fabric, and I think her use of color and design is spot on. She reminds me of one of our shared artist heroes, Sonia Delaney. Hey, it was a Sonia Delaunay exhibit we visited in Paris a few years ago. Yes, we were so lucky. It was totally the hand of fate since I didn't even know the exhibition existed until we got to Paris and saw the posters. I was so excited to randomly get to see a huge exhibit of one of my favorite artists. We are a fortunate folk. Remember the time we went to London and there was an exhibition of E. McKnight Coffer's graphic design work in a tiny museum near Islington Station? We are just name and city dropping all over the place here. Humble braggers. (laughs) That was a fantastic show as well. Anyway, back to Kim. I don't know how it came up, but one day I was telling her how much I loved Sonia Delaney's work, and she told me that that was one of her favorite artists as well. Ever since then, I felt like we have a secret Sonia connection. It sounds like Delaney's work really changed the trajectory of Kim's art. In fact, I think that is a perfect place to start the interview. Roll tape. She was sort of the first artist that I felt like kind of a real connection to because she was a painter. And at that time I was doing painting and printmaking, but she also did a lot of things on fabric. And it was kind of the first time I realized that artists could work with fabric. So for me, it was like life changing to see her work. So while I was in engineering, I was also double majoring in Spanish And after my freshman year, I studied abroad in Spain for the summer. And while I was there, that's when I sort of started thinking, maybe engineering isn't for me, but I'm going to try to stick it out and go a little bit more into the Spanish side. I did engineering for, I think, two years. The second half of the second year, I was really easing my way out of it. And then I think it was at the beginning of junior year that I officially kind of dropped all of that and switched to art. (laughs) How'd you decide to do textiles? I took a class that was offered um, one semester on screen printing yardage. So the whole semester, all we did was just screen print yardage, and it was amazing. It was like a combination of printmaking and sewing, and I've been sewing for a long, long time since I was about 10. Um, And I I was sort of sewing all the way through college just as a hobby. And that class kind of um, also was a big turning point where I sort of realized, oh, I can make work on fabric, not just people in general, but this option is open to me as well. Has your engineering, those two years of engineering, influenced or been a help to your work? Yeah, I think they've been a really big help. Just sort of having a brain that can do math, even though I was never like great at it. I think I'm a lot better at math than most artists. Um, And that training of problem solving and asking questions and trying to figure out different ways to answer that question that are inherent to the science fields were really helpful. Um, And even though I 
you know, hated my math classes in college. I took geometry for a whole semester. And now I can see all of that coming back in. I know about angles and how to make circles and what a diameter is and all of that really stuff that's fun now, but wasn't fun then. Who taught you how to sew? My dad. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. What did you sew? We sew. So he was really just a practical dude and knew how to do lots of things like cooking and gardening and canning and sewing. So we made a quilt when I was 10 out of all of our old shirts. We had been sort of doing a house cleaning thing and getting rid of lots of stuff to take to Goodwill. And so we just sewed up a little blankie from shirts. And he taught me just sort of how to hem things and kind of just basics, make pot holders, you know, practical stuff like that. Did you always do quilts through college or did you? No, I, after that first quilt, when I was 10, I didn't make another quilt until I started graduate school. And I did not go to graduate school planning to make quilts. I was thinking I would just dye fabric and screen print fabric and make collages. Um, I was sort of still in the really fine art realm of things, uh, but my major advisor, Mary Ann Jordan, is a quilter. And so just sort of being around her and seeing her work inspired me to try to make another one. And it was really bad. It was, I don't know why I was really dumb about it and just sort of thought, I know how to sew. I'll just do this. I can do this. I don't need to look at a book or ask for help or look at the internet. I'll just sew some things together. And it was really bad. I printed all of the fabric in it and I used a lot of like linen and silk and sort of weird stuff and didn't understand about seam allowance. And I was trying to preserve as much fabric as possible. So the seam allowances were super little and I used really gross polyester batting. So a lot of the seams are busting. I first saw Kim's work at a presentation she made at the Modern Quilt Guild. The collection of quilts that she showed were unlike any I'd seen. They were layered with color and pattern and were heavily textured with stitching and layers of fabric. They also had an unlikely subject, teeth. Those were quilts that I made while I was at Aeromont, and I was having lots of dreams about my teeth falling out, and so I decided to make quilts about it. The teeth quilts, and I was doing some narrative, like, rabbit family-based quilts before that, and they were all kind of dark and just, like, emotionally kind of tough to work on. And so I decided that I was going to start making pretty things and things that were actually functional and could be used as a quilt for warmth and comfort. So I applied for a grant through the um, Kansas Arts Commission, and that's when I started making the landscape quilts and also some color black quilts at Mm -hmm. the same time. You did a line of rabbit-based quilts that were dark? Yeah. They were all all about death. There were owls, and the owls were swooping down on the rabbits, and there were skeletons, and... Yeah. Tell us a little more about the landscape quilts. Can you describe them? Why you wanted to do them? Uh, Like I said, they kind of started out because I wanted to make pretty things. And I've been really outdoorsy and naturey my whole life. And I get really grouchy if I have to be inside for a long time. And growing up, my family, we went camping all the time, almost every weekend when it was nice weather. So I grew up, you know, like in the woods and um, in the mountains, we would go out to Montana and Wyoming every summer. So landscape has always just been, I don't know the best way to say it, but it's been really just important in my life. 
I've also always really loved even really cheesy landscape artists like Grant Wood. I have a really soft spot for Grant Wood. Um, so it just seemed logical that to make a pretty thing, I would make a landscape. And the first ones that I was making were all based on specific places and trying to capture the feel of that place. So like what the quality of light would be like, just the emotional impact of that place. Do you want to do them on a mass scale? What do you want with your functional quilts? At first, I was planning to try to market them and sell them through stores like uh, home goods stores and you know, local boutiques, and then sort of quickly realize that it takes way too long to make a quilt and expect to get paid a proper amount for it. Um, So then I switched over to doing more custom work. So people would contact me and I would do something based on maybe a place that they love instead of a place that I love, which is what most of them were. And that all kind of led up to Pottery Barn Teen contacted me and I made a quilt for them. So it was that was a way to make them on a mass scale because I just made the design. I made like a sample and then they had them manufactured in China. And that process even though it was really exciting and um, a great learning experience also sort of made me realize that I don't want to mass produce them. So now I kind of, uh, they're still functional, but I think of them more as wall quilts. And if somebody wants me to make, you know, a queen size quilt, I will. But more of my work I see just living on a wall. So when did you decide to focus on dyeing as opposed to like screen printing? Well, I used to do both and I started doing both of them because when I first was making fabric work, there weren't great fabric choices. As you probably remember in like the early 2000s, there weren't a lot of good readily available fabric choices, especially in, you know, small town Iowa. So it sort of happened just out of necessity, um, but also being able to, to create my own fabric was exciting. And I've sort of eased off the screen printing just because of time constraints and wanting to have a more solid color field instead of a patterned fabric. So I, I, I feel like this whole interview is about how I have art ADD <laughs> and I get these ideas and go with them and nothing seems to stick for very long. But so anyways, I decided last year or I think it was last year that I was tired of using synthetic dyes and things that are not great for the environment and for me as a person. And I wanted to learn about natural dyes and how to use them properly. And um, there's some safety issues with natural dyes too, just like with anything. So I took a workshop this summer to really learn the right way to do things and see what some possibilities are. It was at the Textile Center of Minnesota, And it was taught by this amazing person named Michel Garcia, who's from France. Um, And he's like a botanist and a chemist and a natural dye guru. And we learned um, about a bunch of different plants and different processes for different fabrics. And the best part was learning how to thicken these things called mordants that kind of help the natural dyes work. That's a really basic description of what they are. But you can thicken them and then paint with them or screen print them and by doing different kinds of mordants on your fabric, you can get different colors from one dye bath, which is amazing. (laughs) KU has a really great program, especially for textiles, because they have a lot of um, graduate teaching opportunities. So I taught 
five of the six semesters that I was in graduate school, and I got to teach my own classes. And then after I graduated, I had a residency at Aramont School of Arts and Crafts in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for a year. So I moved there. And you love Aramont. It's really great. It's kind of a weird place because it's in Gatlinburg, which people that have been there know it's really crazy. It's kind of like Branson. It's super, super touristy. But it's also at the base of the Smoky Mountains, so it's really beautiful. Um, the town itself is just really crazy and really fun. There's all sorts of like corn dogs and fudge and airbrush t-shirts and 10 Ripley's Believe It or Not stations. Um, but Aramont is sort of in the mix of all of that. And it's this small little craft school and people can go take one week and two week workshops in the summer in all different craft media. So it's just a great little community of artists and crafters and everybody is just super nice there and excited to be there. So it's a good, it just feels good to be there. I wanted to teach but it was mostly out of fear of not being able to make a living as a full-time studio artist. And I wasn't sure when I started graduate school if I would like teaching, just because I am sort of naturally a shy person. But as soon as I started, I really liked it. So it sort of turned into a balance of really liking teaching and liking that relationship with students, but then also having it be a way to kind of fund a studio practice. When you're in school session, Mm -hmm. do you find any inspiration from what your students are doing? About once a semester, I think I have a student that asks questions that I never would have thought of. And so that's really exciting to try to figure things out with them. And they just approach things really differently than I would. So I think teaching them things that I've done even a million times before, like I do shibori all the time, but every time I teach it at school, I sort of figure something new out for myself and watching them experiment is just really kind of rejuvenating. And it's also a chance to do the things that I love doing but don't regularly do in my practice, like screen printing and block printing. Kim takes a great deal of inspiration from her surroundings. Growing up in a family of outdoorsmen cultivated in her a love of nature and the desire to explore. So it makes sense that she makes an effort to incorporate travel into her life. Whether she is going out of the country or just to a family cabin in Minnesota, Kim keeps her eyes open for inspiration. At the Kansas City Art Institute, we can apply for funding to do projects. So I got a faculty development grant to take a road trip to the Southwest that involved backpacking in the Grand Canyon and going to Santa Fe and Taos and Sedona and to Page, Arizona to kind of study the landscape there. Since I've lived in the Midwest most of my life, I thought kind of getting out of this area and seeing something really different would be really good and sort of regenerative for my work. And it was, but not in the landscape way, more in the, you know, like pattern, traditional textiles of that region. Those were the things that spoke to me more than the landscape, even though the landscape was amazing. The color seems so clean there and so saturated. So I think I've seen that come into my work. I've been using pink all of a sudden, and I kind of hate pink. But, you know, so much of the land there is like red and shades of red. And there's there were so many flowers blooming when I was there that pink just sort of got to me. 
my husband and my mom and I have been going on really exciting vacations to Central and South America. We've been, we went to Mexico twice. Last year we went to Costa Rica and this um, December we're going to Ecuador, which I'm really excited about. I've never been to South America, only Central America. Did any of your Costa Rica or Mexico trips find itself in your work? I think just the color the colors of the things, especially the textiles that we saw in Mexico, were really saturated and really bright. And I didn't really realize it about my work, but I think I tended to go towards more dull colors. Even though I thought I was always using bright colors, I really wasn't until I, I saw those. Um, so I've seen my palette shift. You've got your shibori and you've got your reverse applique. Is there anything else you are experimenting with or want to experiment with? Um, kind of a lot of things all at once. I'm really excited about geometry right now and the decorative qualities that can happen through geometry. So I've been doing... I feel like I'm sort of translating sketches through lots of different exercises. So I start with watercolors that are kind of my sketches, and then I'm translating those into reverse applique. It's really different than quilting because quilting is sort of additive. You know, when you're piecing things together, I think you think about structure and composition in a really different way. And with the reverse applique, I can just sort of respond to the colors um, and make choices as I work. And I tend to be that kind of person. I like to respond to what's in front of me instead of having to really plan something out perfectly. So the reverse applique is like the perfect vehicle for that. A professor at the Kansas City Art Institute, Kim has her hands full overseeing her classes. But she is also prolific in her studio work, asked her how she balances her teaching career with her studio time. During the school year, I try to be here at least two or three times a week. Fridays are kind of my day off from teaching, so I'm usually here on Fridays. And then I'm here Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, and sometimes I'll come in on the weekend. But I do all of my watercolors at home. Um, So I, I usually do those, if not every night, every other night, just to try to keep myself busy. And then during school breaks, like during summer and winter break, I'm here. I try to treat it as a job. So I try to come in every day from like 9 till 4 or 9 till 5. When you're in your studio space and you're working on stuff, do you like listen to anything or is it just you on your own? Sometimes I do. I like to listen to podcasts (laughs) and I like to listen to audiobooks. But if I have to think about anything too hard, I can't have noise around me or else I just will find myself standing there listening instead of working. So I I would say half the time I'm working in silence. I have to do a lot of math in all of my work. Primarily with the dyeing, it requires a ton of math and calculations to get the colors right and the amounts of chemicals right. So I have to turn the music off for that. And then a lot of the work that I'm doing now, I have to think about how I layer color and how I am going to you know, draw the pattern on that I can sew. And if I have any distractions with that, I just, you know, make bad choices and sort of get things wrong and have to redo a lot of things. So it's better if I can just focus and like sort of make my plan. And then once the plan is made, I can do the dirty work and just get through it. Do you like working in a studio with two other textile artists? I do. I like it a lot. It's really nice to have people around to bounce ideas off of and just to like keep the energy level kind of high. It can be a little distracting because sometimes I just want to hang out instead of work. But for the most part, it's really great. 
Artists are inspiration hoarders. Whether it is a sound, color, or even a gesture, anything can activate that spark of creativity. I asked Kim what she is finding most inspirational these days. There is an Austrian artist named um, Friedensreich Hundertwasser. <laughs> I'm probably saying that really badly. Uh, but he was also a painter and did some printmaking and did lots of um, landscaping and architecture. And his work was really, really colorful and sort of organic and freeform and referenced maps um, and plants. And I think just the joyfulness of that work spoke to me. Um, the Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami is my favorite book. It's a little bit dark. Um, I listen to this CD by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Zen um, philosopher. And it's all about sort of like Zen practices. So being present and paying attention to things. So I would definitely say that's probably number one because it just makes you be really in tune with yourself and what's around you. What are some other great things to look at? I think just like go outside. That's a big one for me. And I know a lot of people don't live somewhere where it's really beautiful, but finding botanical gardens for me, that's always really exciting or going out to the woods and just trying to like really pay attention to things is good. What do you think are the most significant things you've learned over like the past five or 10 years uh, that have impacted how you work? I think there are things that I'm still, I have to learn over and over. And one of them is just to sort of trust my instincts. There's a lot of times where I'll want to make something and I'll think, oh, like a real artist wouldn't make that. Or that's so far outside of what I'm kind of known for or what people expect out of me that I can't do that. But just sort of trusting that things happen for a reason and that I have all of the skills I need to make that okay. Um, I feel like I have to learn that about once a year. <laughs> um, oh, it's okay to use commercial fabrics. That also has been a big struggle for me because I always thought I have to make everything from scratch. Obviously, I'm not going to like spin yarn and weave my fabric, but I always thought if I'm not starting with white fabric and, you know, doing everything from start, it's not legit. It's not me enough. But I think having embraced commercially dyed fabrics has changed a lot for me. Um, something else that I've learned is that I, there's like, the textile world and then there's the quilt world and then there's like the crafter world and there's the fine art world and I think especially over the past couple of years as modern quilting has really really grown into its own thing I realize that I am an artist that makes quilts I'm not really even though I love quilters and I love the quilting world and I feel like I'm part of it I don't define myself as that Thanks for listening to Hello Atelier. To see images of Kim's work and her studio, visit us at helloatelier.org. To keep up with all our episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.